0: Welcome to a special bonus episode of 7 Million Bikes, a Saigon podcast. I'm here today with Lars Callio, who is a special guest because he's not actually a Saigonier. He's a travelling comic who's visiting Saigon. He's been here many times before. I was at his show last night. He's a very, very funny man. And he's also super, super helpful. He's been visiting and meeting with comics like myself in Saigon helping us giving us advice it's been really really useful and so hopefully the Saigon comedy scene will be infinitely better since you, after you leave
1: <laughs> they, they, they're good there's some solid comics here you know it's not like it's not like, uh, it's, it's not like um, Bangkok where all the comics are total junk Oh, okay. I'm Interesting. just kidding. They're not. <laughs> <laughs> they're all friends of mine there too. They're good guys. It's good to trash talk because it'll get back to them. Yeah, so right. It's perfect. We'll have a little controversy. Sweet. Hopefully, <laughs> someone in Bangkok listens to this podcast. They're good. They're good awesome. It's a fun club there. So, so Lars is uh, from Canada. He's from Edmonton. Yeah.
0: And um, how many times have you been to Saigon now? This
1: is the fourth year in a row.
0: Wow. Mm. Nice. So you've you'll have noticed we I, everyone I speak to is. Uh, been here for several years now i end up saying the same thing you must have seen such a change because things are changing here so quick right
1: i'm going to go back and listen to the library of podcasts so i can hear some of the differences (laughs) so i you know um you know it's been a part of the tour so i do australia and asia every march april may and it's just a part of the tour now which is great um but i i mean the food is so great and everything is so cheap and the crowds are lovely so it's you know people who perform here and are familiar with the city they realize how cheap and how good the food is and so I mean I love it I look forward to coming every year and uh, yeah
0: do you you know I think of you as like a rock and roll star or a music band you know when they, they travel the world you often read, when you read a biography or whatever, they don't get to see the city. Right. Because they come in, they play a gig, and then they leave. Is it similar for you, or do you get to enjoy the places you visit?
1: So the first year I came, I was with the Magners Comedy Festival, and we were here for five days. And they put us up at the Caravelle Saigon, which is like a six-star hotel, and, like, borderline six stars. It, it was unbelievable. And um, the first year when we did the six days here... It was great, because you got to unpack, you got to do some laundry, you got, you know, it was really great. So the following year, I did Hanoi, and I also did Phuket in Thailand, and it was literally hotel, venue, airport, venue, hotel, like you, I didn't see any of Hanoi, and I didn't see any of Phuket, I, I might as well have been performing in Calgary, Canada, it was I landed at the airport. They took us to the hotel, showered, went and did the show, went back to the hotel, got up the next morning at six a.m. and went back. So people are like, "Oh, you've been to Hanoi?" Well, kinda. I you mean, to I, the airport. Yeah, been to the airport and the hotel. That's yeah. all. And so I liked the. I was excited to go to Hanoi because I'd never been, but I mean. I was there for 16 hours
0: yeah you can't even really say you've been to Hanoi that's right,
1: right. Uh-huh. and the show was great they, they have a really cool comedy club up there I don't know if you've been but uh, uh, it's called uh, Stand Up Hanoi and it was it's awesome it's so great and then um, this year we spent a about a day and a half in, and I always pronounce it wrong. Hue, Hue? Hue? I'll probably say it wrong
0: as well. Yeah, I just say way. Yeah, I had a Hue? friend call okay. it like Hue. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Who's Hue?" And he's like, "No, no, the Imperial City." I was like, "Oh, you mean Hue?" Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah and so, so which is which like, is by Da Nang for anybody who's listening to this who might not know, it's kind of central Vietnam. And so, same thing. But we got to see a little bit of it, and um, we got to we went and had their um, lemongrass skewers and this like a, a pancake. And so, we went and had some local cuisine. It was. Really, Really great. And so, yeah, you're right. It is a little bit like, you know, you've been to all these cities, but you haven't really been to all these cities. And yeah It's like you've set foot in the airport and you have a magnet on your fridge from it, but that's it.
0: Which you bought at the airport. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, precisely.
0: <laughs> so, how did you get into comedy then?
1: I, I couldn't play a guitar.
0: <laughs> I can't play a guitar either. I try.
1: Yeah, and my, my family were all musicians. And so, I thought I was, I really grew up think, thinking I, I grew up on stage and I thought I was going to be a musician and I just couldn't play I was terrible brutal like embarrassingly bad couldn't carry a tune in a bucket and so I I tried stand up when I was 26 years old and 16 years later here it is yeah
0: yeah and when you started did you were you uh, did you want to have a career in comedy or no. was it a hobby or
1: I didn't think you could have a career in comedy there was no there was no part of me that thought that that was an actual job there's to this day and I'm over 10 years into doing this as a job I still don't think it's a job and for the listeners um, you know like really you can get paid doing that like yeah you can do well I mean I'm very very lucky but um, yeah I, I just wanted to be good at it and I was one year into comedy a girl broke my heart and so I just focused on comedy for three years to try and get past the heartbreak and three years later I was like a comedian
0: and what at what point did you feel like
1: I'm a comedian? It still hasn't happened. As silly as that sounds, I, it really... So I I just don't... Like, a decade of my life, it's been my job. I don't make money any other way other than through comedy. You know, I'm, I've done a little bit of acting, but I'm also terrible at that. And so, I yeah, I don't think that there's a time now... Like, when I watch somebody who's really... There's a comedian from Australia named Jacques Barrett. Mm-hmm. And Jacques Barrett is one of the greatest writers I've ever seen. He is, you You watch him and you're like, this guy is unbelievable. Um, Mick Nevin, who's also Australian. And so you watch these comedians and, and you're like, I, I, Fiona O'Laughlin, I think was also another, I, I hope I got her name right. But anyway, so you watch them and you're like, that's that's a comedian, That that's a comedian. And so I still don't feel like, I, I feel like I'm, I'm a pretend like a pretender. To, yeah.
0: Well, there is something called the the imposter syndrome. Have you heard of that?
1: No, that's how it feels. Yeah, but what, and apparently
0: everyone feels that. It. It's um, like you can be a CEO of a company. Yeah. And it might, but you might feel like I'm not worthy of this position, or you know, And if someone because I felt like that in a job I had in the past, and I was talking to my manager about it, it was like my first kind of management job he's like, how are you doing? I was like, yeah, good. he's like, how are you feeling? I was like, oh, I don't really know if I know I'm doing the right thing. I don't know if, like, you know. Yeah. And he's like, that's fine. He's like, everyone feels like that. It's the imposter syndrome. Like, you'll get, you'll get past it, maybe.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, I mean, when you watch somebody who's, you watch somebody, Jim Jeffries, Bill Burr, you know, uh, Maria Bamford, you watch them and they're doing it on another level. And they're the greatest in the world. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, so um, it's, a, those sounds you're hearing in the background, this is a live taping. Of seven million bikes. Yeah, this
0: is a bit of a bonus episode, so we're doing this in the uh, restaurant of Lars's hotel. He's flying back to Edmonton tonight. Yeah. So this is pretty uh, good opportunity. So what is the um, what's the normal reaction when you tell somebody you're a comedian? You know, you're at a party and someone's like, "Oh, so what do you do for work?" Well,
1: I I have a, a game that I play. So if I'm on a flight next to somebody, I want to see how long I can talk about their job before they ask me about mine. And I won't be dismissive, but I will try and deflect just a little. No, no, what do you do? And I remember there was a guy who was a textile purchaser for Mountain Equipment Co-op. It's kind of like North Face in Canada. So it was like um, you know, like a outdoor wear. And we talked for four hours about his textile purchasing. And we the plane was about to land. And he goes, what do you do? And I said, I'm a stand-up comedian. And he's like, what? Why were we talking about textiles for 4 hours? And as soon as the the conversation as soon as they find out and if you there are comedians Jimmy Dore this really funny comedian from Chicago but he lives in LA. He said, you know, if you don't want to have that conversation, he tells people I speak at colleges. So if you don't want people to know, you don't just don't say anything. It's up, you know. So if you say I'm a comedian, then it's going to be tell me a joke or are you famous or what have you been on or, and so if you don't want to open the door to that, I'm okay with having the conversation because I love love this job. I love the uh, the craft. I love I love stand up comedy, so I'm happy to talk about it. But I I want to learn a bit about the other person before because it's just going to dominate the conversation, and I want it to. Like I genuinely, I'm like, no, that's all I want to talk about. And so um, once you tell them, the simpletons, people who aren't aren't overly intelligent, will ask, "Tell me a joke." That's you know. And then, which is not to say everybody who asks that question is dumb, but you'll you'll find that. And, and I don't th- I'm not smart by any stretch of the imagination, so I'm not I'm not patronizing people. But then there's people who ask really intelligent questions, and and uh, you're wow, that's a great question. Well, a matter, you know, so I'm happy to discuss that. But um, yeah, if if you're doing comedy and you don't want to talk about it, then don't tell them because it's all they're going to talk about.
0: And so, what's the most uh, frustrating thing about being a comedian?
1: Oh man, if people knew the amount of rejection that so you have to have a thick skin on stage but you're you're going to apply to as you go through your career you're going to apply to a festival and somebody else is going to get it you're going to apply to a TV show and somebody else is going to get it you're going to get passed over again and again and again and again so the rejection is by far the most difficult part of stand-up comedy and and there's a couple of really, really funny young comics, you know, and I see them coming up. And what I'll do is I'll send them a message and I'll say, look, you're really good at this. I've been doing this for 16 years now. You're as good as anyone I've ever seen. There will come a day when the rejection is going to start to get to you. Don't let it beat you down. And so I want them to know if you push through this, it's going to be worth it. Mm. And maybe maybe they... Maybe they have a change of heart. Maybe they don't want to do it. Sometimes they have a wife and kids, and, and they decide that they, you know, there's going to be an investment banker or something like. And that's okay as long as I want people to be happy. But um, Artie Lang, who was on Mad TV, and he was on the Howard Stern Show for years as, as well, he said, uh, "Comedy is 51% joy, 49% misery," and I'd have to say that's pretty close. And when the shows are great, when the, you'll do this audience, you know, a crowd will just be spectacular. And I remember one of my friends, Alex, who said, "Don't you wish they could all be like this?" And I said, "No, no, because then everybody would do it. If they were all like this, be, you, that's the reward for all of the all of the tough shows, all of the the bar gigs, all of the travel, all of that. The reward are those shows, mm-hmm. and so." yeah I mean the stuff on stage people do it because they love it like you started in comedy because you love it and you get on stage and it is addicting and and it's the coolest feeling in the world when you have a a joke land and um, but you know I you'll apply to all these different things and they'll be like oh sorry we didn't you know so there's a few tours that I've that I've been pitched for and I think there was three years in a row so they pick four comedians and it's a national tour in, in Canada and uh four years in a row i was the last comedian cut so like i was the alternate essentially and you're like oh i was so close or that's what they tell you i mean they could be they could they could be making <laughs> that, to make, you, that. To, yeah, to make you feel better but um you know so stuff like that yeah the rejection man it it will it will beat you down and um it, it makes a lot of people quit mm. yeah i'm sure
0: and I think do you feel like there's a disconnect between the on-stage persona and then the real person because I think everyone assumes that comedians are hilarious in real life and always the life and soul of the party but you know I even know some comedians here that if you meet them
1: they're really quiet and meek but then you got on stage and they're like hilarious uh, that's a good question I don't the best comedians are the ones who have a real close you know, Jacques Barry, who I mentioned earlier, he's the same on stage and off stage. McNevin, same thing. Um, there's a guy named Kelly Taylor who is one of the best comedians I've ever seen in my life. He's from Canada and he is the same person on stage and off. So there are people who are introverted off stage and then, you know, very extroverted on stage. So I think there's a you know, there can be, but I I mean a lot of times maybe it's an embellishment of their personality. You know, or, or they've created a character that works for them. But I think most people are pretty close, like most professional comedians. Mm, interesting. Yeah, so one of my favorite comedians in the world, if your listeners aren't familiar, was Kathleen Madigan. So Kathleen Madigan's from St. Louis originally, but she's been in L.A. forever, ever, and ever. Look up Kathleen Madigan, and she is unbelievably funny. And she's the same person on stage and off. Like, she is hysterical. And... Uh, yeah, I, I uh, she's she's amazing. So I th- I think that, that it's possible that there's you know there's there is a, a disconnect air quotes on a, a podcast, but I think for the most part it's pretty you know it can be pretty mm. close. The best ones I think, but um, yeah, I, I could be wrong about that. <laughs> What's your best memory of being a comedian
0: or your, a standout moment for you?
1: Oh wow, going to Iraq to entertain the troops.
0: I didn't think that's a sentence that I would hear.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've done just for last festival in Montreal, which was unbelievable. But I think, and I've done a bunch of TV tapings of, and I I hesitate because I don't want every time I'm on a podcast or doing an interview uh, for it to go to this because it sounds like such a such a um, a name drop. But touring with Joan Rivers, and the reason that that was so surreal for me and this is so I don't know if you s- saw the movie Spaceballs
0: oh yeah yeah I love that movie so yeah, yeah. Joan
1: Rivers was the robot she was like the C-3PO like that was her character oh,
0: of course yeah that's and true. so <laughs>
1: I loved Spaceballs so much and I when I was so the last three tours of Canada Joan Rivers had done I was her opening act I worked with her five times in total like five different years and um uh, I just every time like I'm working with the person from Spaceballs <laughs> like I, you know or did the red carpet yeah I don't know if I ever did that's a good question I must have I must have but I never want to I don't want to sound like I'm being you know just a you know just a I'm a fan I, yeah so, which I is mean, probably
0: like all of my body of work yeah that <laughs> you like me the most
1: Spaceballs I so did I really love that movie that's, like, a, that's a great one yeah. and so um you know, when I was watching that as a kid, uh, did I ever think that I would be working with one of the actors from Spaceballs? No, I never, in a million years, dreamed that. And so she was the fill-in host for Johnny Carson for many years. She was the fill-in host of The Tonight Show. And so you are working with, and she never cared for the title, but you are working with a legend, like a real legend. And um, and so it, it, that, but yeah, I think... Entertaining the troops, the three tours I've done over there might be the, my, my like most fond memory. This is and so
0: what's that like? So we're talking about you know going in and out of cities where you kind of like straight to the base and out. Or did you so see any of the? Companies? No.
1: So you you're on military bases. So you fly commercial into Kuwait City. There's two large U.S. military bases in Kuwait. And Kuwait is a very small country. There's one million Kuwaitis and three million like expats that live there. So about four million people in the entire country of Kuwait. Mm. And um, as of probably five or six years ago. So I, you can fact check the numbers for me <laughs> if you want. But, um, so then you take uh, military transport from the base in Kuwait into Iraq. And so you do a show right after they have lunch on the first base. And then they fly you on a Black Hawk helicopter to the next base there's three comedians they fly you to the next base and then you do a show right after dinner and then you stay at that base for the night and then you just basically for 12 days you just do two or three bases a day and we did bases that were as small as 50 guys and as large as 10,000.
0: Well, i was just gonna say how big were they? yeah
1: yeah so like we did some really really tiny ones and some really massive ones and it was um you're, I, I thought you were bringing home to them you know I thought you were uh, you know, helping but really what you're doing is if they're not on mission if they're not doing something they're there for six months and the, they get like a little break and then they're there for, so it's a year they're there they think six more months and so you're just entertaining them to move them an hour and a half closer to home mm-hmm. like it's they're just you know a little bit bored you know you're just there's the same routine day in and day out day in and day out mm-hmm. so the comedians doing a comedy show for them um, I you know I, um, I'm anti-war but pro-troop mm-hmm. the men and women that were over there they were genuinely trying to make the world a better place they really were I talked to thousands of them and they're all family people that were just just trying to fix right some wrongs mm-hmm. you know so I, I didn't feel like they were a bunch of trigger happy I want to blow stuff up they were family people and they were like no I want to yeah. I want to stop a, a rapacious dictator from Murdering, you know, whenever he feels like it, and so I—I I really learned a lot and um, gave me an appreciation for what we have in in industrialized countries, and and uh, yeah. It was and really
0: did any good. of them uh, heckle you?
1: No, nope. I'd, I'd be scared to respond. <laughs> no, and uh, so they—they were similar to other comedy audiences in that they wouldn't want to sit in the front because they didn't want to get picked on. But they were required to carry with them at all times their automatic weapons, so an AR 15 and an M16. Oh, so you have all wow. these people standing in the back, and you're like, hey guys, move forward, the show will be better. And they're standing there with an automatic rifle saying, well, we don't want to sit in the front, we'll get picked on. <laughs> and so yeah it was nobody heckled because they know you came from around the world yeah. to entertain them Yeah, and uh, there's a comedian named Mike Brabiglia. he has it on a on a CD it's a great joke so you sign autographs and take pictures so they br- send you with like a fat like a stack of posters with the comedian's pictures on it and you autograph them for all the troops and you give them that and you take pictures with them and Mike Birbiglia says these people have been gone from America for so long they don't know I'm not famous <laughs> and it's true because you know you're genuine who do I make this out to oh my god make it out to me and I, I mean I don't know how many um, how many of those posters would make it all the way home but it was you know as a, a souvenir and, and it was yeah that was 16 years of doing stand up. I think that was the thing I'm most proud of, mm. and I've been really lucky. I've been like, that's really cool. Lucky. Did you have to go
0: through like background checks and security checks? Oh and yeah, get, like, vetted and uh-huh. all like that. You yeah. bet.
1: Yeah, everything. Okay. And was it?
0: Did you feel, you know, like you were being watched when you were there? No. Were you under tight control, or you were kind of like, here the, you are, it's the base?
1: Well, they really want to protect you. Right. So I have a video of it. I have it on a DVD. Um, like a, I put I put it all, and then somebody I loaned my video camera to somebody. A comedian's like, "Hey, can I borrow your video camera?" I loaned it to him, and never got it back. And oh, I don't yeah. know why I loaned it to. You. But anyway, um, so they pick you up at the uh, at the airport in Kuwait, and they had three bulletproof suburban SUVs, and they drove at like a hundred miles an hour to the base. And these guys, I mean, they. Protect you, mm. and so you—they, you're not—you don't feel like you're being watched. As in, they're worried you might do something. They want to make sure you get home safe. Yeah, and yeah, so it was, um, you know, they say this is—if you hear the alarm, here's what you do: get into the one of the bomb shelters. You know, and we're, you know like we got mm-hmm. you, and and so you feel you feel as safe as you ever would.
0: Well, I was going to say, were you know, were you worried about like uh, bombs or mm-hmm. from other people attacking? Was that
1: scary every, at all? No. Every base we were on. Had been shelled. Usually, it's a mortar shell. Right. None. So there was one base that was shelled the day after we left. But every single base we were on had had mortar fire at one point or another. But you didn't to Oh, uh, we that. didn't know. Right. And so, um, so Olivia, a friend, a good friend, a very funny comedian from Houston, and the one who took um, took me over there, the sent me to the three times I did the tours. Um, she was actually at a base when it got hit with the rocket, yeah, and so, um, yeah. I mean, you're they, they the commanding officer. At the base sits you down, tells you here's what you know. You hear an alarm or you hear the siren, mm-hmm. you know, get into a bomb shelter. You know, it's probably not going to hit anything, but you know, so they they brief you yeah. and let you know what to do. So you, you feel as safe as you can.
0: you were saying, Elor, you never thought you would be have a career in comedy. I, you would never imagine that it would take you to places like that. No.
1: Right? Flying around on a Black Hawk yeah. helicopter. <laughs> Are you kidding me? It's pretty awesome. It's right? unbelievable.
0: <laughs> so, how many countries do you, do you know? How many countries yeah. you visited?
1: Uh, so, uh, Malaysia was my twenty third country. So, I just did KL. So, I had done twenty two countries, and and um, Malaysia was my twenty third. Nice.
0: And do you do you have a favorite? I know you maybe don't get to see so much of them. Do you have a favorite country? I like them turn? all. Yeah, I really
1: do. Um, I when I wake up in Vietnam, and I, this is going to sound cheesy. So, I'm I'm forty two, and I. I really loved the movie Good Morning Vietnam with Robin Williams. And I actually ha- had a radio show, have a, it still exists, it's called Comic Genius, and Genius is with a J. So Comic Genius in, in Canada, in Edmonton. And I got that radio show because of Adrian Cronauer, who was the character that Robin Williams played on Good Morning America. I remember being Good 12. Morning, Good Thank you, yeah. <laughs> thank you, yeah. Good morning, Vietnam. Um, so I, I loved how fun he made radio look and I was, I think I would have been 13 or 14 years old, maybe, maybe a little younger, and I'm like, oh, I want a radio show. And the idea that now you're in Vietnam, and not only that, but, you, you know, to go up by Da Nang, to go to Hanoi, to go to, it's its surreal, and mm-hmm. to see the, you know, the um, reunification palace, and to watch all the, it's, so I can't believe that this job has taken me to the places it's taken me. Yeah. It's, there's no part of this where I think that that's, Normal. Also, oh yeah, that's normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So I, I mean I really love New York City. I really love Canada. I really love Australia. If I if I had to pick the three places I would move, so I would go I would go uh well I think I do four. New York City would be number one, Melbourne, Australia would be number two, Seattle would be number three, and Las Vegas would be number four. Wow. Yeah, Vegas is really uh it's like It's really become, they've got a whole bunch of new comedy clubs that have opened up, and it's really a boom, and and housing is cheap, and you're right in the middle of everything, and it's easy to get around, and so um, I quite like Las Vegas for the convenience. It's silly if that sounds, yeah.
0: I've never been there, and I'm not a gambler, but I do want to go. It's just for the experience. Oh, you're
1: going to love it. And so if you go, make sure you're there on a Friday night, and we'll get you a spot on a show called The Dirty at 12.30. Right. So there's a show uh, at South Point. It's a casino, like quite far from the Strip. It was originally started by Ralphie May, and it is unbelievable. This guy named Gabe runs it now. It is so awesome. Like four or five hundred people every wow. Friday night at twelve thirty at night. You, yeah, you got yeah, it. Rhodey, I would
0: imagine. That oh,
1: it's guy. so good. But they're not. They're just into it. Yeah. Like yeah. they're just a well-behaved comedy audience. Oh, it's cool. unbelievable. Yeah. Well, definitely reach out to them and, and yeah, do a spot yeah. there like phew. and if any of the listeners are going to Vegas, if you're there on a Friday night, go to the dirty at twelve thirty. You will you will be glad you did. And I don't think there's an admission. I think it's free. Wow. Yeah. That's
0: pretty good. Going to Vegas then this weekend. Yeah, yeah. Um so you first came to Vietnam four years ago you yep. said, four years mm-hmm. ago. And did you get to see much of Vietnam then or was that one of the in and out visits? No,
1: so that was we were here for I think five or six days the first at time. The five Street, yeah five days. And I always do bus tours wherever I go. So as soon as I get into the city, I hop on a tourist bus, and I do, like, I get to see the whole city, and I'll see places that I want to go visit, and we did the, um, like, the war museum, we did, you know, the palace, so I've done all that touristy stuff, and I love it. Yeah. I really like to learn the history, and to be in places where some real stuff happened, mm-hmm. like, there's history, and it's, I, I've always enjoyed history, and I've always enjoyed learning, and so... The War Museum
0: is really good, it's such an eye opener, right? Mm-hmm. And here in Saigon, when you see it from the other perspective, right? Yeah. Like we were talking, um, me and Jay were talking when he was on about, he was saying the Americans just haven't disconnected Vietnam with the war. You know, yeah. they just think of Vietnam, they think of the Vietnam War, right? Yeah. And then, But it's not like that at all when you come here. Yeah. But then you go to the War Museum and you're like, oh, there's like a whole other perspective to this that we haven't um, been kind of privy to.
1: Um, there's a, I want to make sure I get his last name right There's a comedian named Paul Oh, what's his last name um, And he, he had a So we're at the War Museum, Paul Morrissey And uh, he goes Paul Morrissey, he's great, he's very funny So we were, he's from Chicago And this guy came up to him at the War Museum And he was asking for money, he was panhandling And you know, he had a crutch and one arm and one leg And he comes up and he goes to Paul Where are you from? And Paul, who's from Chicago, goes, Canada I'm from Canada. Oh, really? Wow.
0: (laughs) That's insane, right? He
1: said it so fast. Canada, I'm from Canada. (laughs) Yeah,
0: because what what just really opened up my mind was, um, it was probably the first time in my life that you're like, oh, there's two versions of history, right? Or more. Yeah. Like, we only learn one side of it, and we just think that's the way it is. And then I went to the War Museum, and you read, you know, just get yeah. into it all now, but you know, you get the the Vietnamese viewpoint, and you're like, oh, this is completely different, and it's not wrong. Yeah. Maybe the, the version we got taught isn't wrong either. Yeah. There's, but the somewhere in the middle is is the truth, right? Yeah. So what were your first impressions of Saigon when you got there?
1: Well, I was in the I was at the Caravel Saigon, so I'm like, this was unbelievable. <laughs> and not only that, but uh, you know, that particular hotel was where all the media stayed until the evacuation, and so there was um like being I don't think I've ever stayed in a hotel that's borderline six star Mm -hmm. and so I was like the breakfast buffet is off the charts it was unbelievable (laughs) so So, yeah we felt really spoiled Um, the shows were good Um, and um, uh, you know the tours were awesome so I was the first time I think crossing the street was the you know somebody had mentioned before if you want to cross the street in Vietnam you just start walking and you just can maintain your pace And if you've, you're like, no, that's not how, that's not a thing. And you're like, yeah, it is.
0: You can't take a step back. You can't pause. You can't hesitate. As a driver, I hate it when I see a tourist crossing the road and then they start moving back. And I'm like, I don't know. What, you just need to walk. Yeah. Because I know if you walk, I'll go around you. But if you start going back and forward, you're going to get hit. Yeah. Yeah. it's exactly how it works.
1: Yeah. You just step off the curb in front of thousands and thousands of vehicles. And you just maintain your pace and they all avoid you.
0: Yeah. I don't know how, but it, it, it works, it, you know. It's scary. And I, I tell a joke, one of my jokes, and again, it's most of my jokes are kind of true stories. My first time in Hanoi, um, we'd been with my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law, and they'd been living here for a couple of years. They still live here. And so they were basically our guides and helping us cross the road and things like that. And then they'd gone back to Ho Chi Minh City, and we were still in Hanoi for another couple of nights. Mm-hmm. First time, it's rush hour. My wife and I were like, "How do we cross this road?" And we're like on the curb, like you see every other tourist, like just trying to figure this out. And the next minute, I swear to God, this is absolutely true. I feel a hand in my back and a little Vietnamese man just pushing me out, smiling and laughing into the traffic, and basically pushes me across <laughs> the road. I'm like, "What is going on here?" We get across the road and it's fine. And yeah, now I've lived here for three years. It's just I'm on the opposite side now, just like stroll across. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's, it's surreal. So that, I mean, if people have never seen it or done it, it, it is, it's, it's insanity. Mm. It's insanity. I've
0: seen people, I've seen a couple have an argument trying to cross the road, like, because they just couldn't figure it out. And like, he ended up, Shane ended up, like, throwing his hand down and storming off. And, yeah. 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 It's definitely, I think, probably one of the craziest things here. Uh-huh. So what we're going to do, I finish every episode with the same set of questions. So I'm going to ask these questions to you. All right, and we'll see. I think most of them will apply, even though you don't live here. Sure. We'll see how we go. So what are your top three Vietnamese foods?
1: Oh, well, um, Nick Ross. I don't know if you had a chance to meet Nick Ross. I've, I've communicated with him. About yeah, kind of one, just one of my favorite. Listening to him speak Vietnamese, because he lived here for 16 years, and he is, I mean, he, he's one of the best English, like, English-speaking, like Vietnamese-speaking people in the country. Like He's, great. he's back in England now, but um, he would take us for lunches and stuff. So wherever Nick Ross took us would have been, and I'll put up a list of the places. If people want to message me for the names of the places, I will send them to them because I, I have them. Um, so the local food. So one of them is right next to heart of darkness. There's this outdoor and it's like a barbecue type. Like they bring you the little hot pots and you cook all your own stuff on it. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And so, yeah. Um, and I think the other one was called Nam Giao, N A M G I A O, and that was the lunch place that that Nick took us to all the time. And it was uh, oh man, this is some of the best food I've ever had yeah. in my life, uh, ever. And Do you
0: know the, dish, the names of any of the dishes? No goodness, <laughs> I
1: he ordered. I didn't even say a word the entire time. He yeah. just ordered it. We had to unwrap a lot of them, like they were in the leaf, yeah. you know, in the like palm leaf or banana leaf or whatever it is. And so yeah, and then so I. Went lately. There's a little. I'm pointing on the podcast. Right out in front of the hotel, there's this little uh, banh mi. And so when I went and had one yesterday, a little Vietnamese sub. And I gave her. I thought she said fifty thousand, which would be you know, uh, would be like for three or four dollars Canadian. So when I gave her the fifty thousand, she gave me change. It was fifteen. So it was eighty cents, eighty-five cents for a little Vietnamese sub it was great and so I went and bought two today and I mean like a dollar sixty a dollar seventy for it so it's like that cheap
0: blows your mind right yeah because you'd happily pay fifty
1: yeah easily yeah yeah, that's fine like three four dollars yeah that's that's great oh no it's it's eighty five cents oh okay that's good too
0: and so I don't know how much you get to go out drinking when you come visit Mm -hmm. Uh, what's your favourite bar and your favourite beer in Vietnam
1: I do like Tiger. I've always been like a pilsner-y type, you know? So, I... Like, when I drink beer in in Canada or the US, it's always something very light, like a lager or a pilsner. So, I'm always just fine with that. So, people can't
0: see my reaction. I'm cringing right now, and you know, I talk a lot about... I'm a craft beer fanatic. And... um, Saigon craft beer scene has like exploded in the last just kind of three years yeah so we often talk about craft beer a lot and I often joke if someone gives the answer
1: of Tiger the podcast's over and nice. we're not going to talk I dig about. with that but, but it's yeah. alright I'll, I'll forgive you since well, you well sure do here's so I don't like hops right I really don't like a hoppy mm-hmm. beer I was doing a really fun comedy festival in Portland it's called the Bridgetown Comedy Festival and the name of the beer was IPA mm-hmm. right so Um, We got all the free IPA we wanted for an entire week. And I bought my own beer. I would rather pay for my own beer than drink an IPA. I detest hops. Everyone's got their own. Yeah, yeah. I'm
0: just just being a dick.
1: No, no, it's great. (laughs) And so I've had a lot of the Army, uh, Heart of Darkness, Army of Darkness, Heart of Darkness beers, and there's some great ones there. Mm -hmm. Like, they have a couple of nice pilsners that are great. But, yeah, as soon as there's hops in it, man, I'm out. (laughs) Like, I really, so... um, you know what is it we drink in um, in Thailand? They have like something uh, that would be like Chang. Yeah, and then there's so it's I like it. I it's just like cool. a nice light beer. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. No, fair no, enough. That's fine as yeah. well.
0: Right now I'm drinking. You would have liked this, I think, at Pasto Street. They have a watermelon mint lager. <laughs> it's so good.
1: Yeah, that's right. And does does the melon help with your yeast infection? <laughs> <laughs> Shh!
0: You said you wouldn't tell anyone about. That. I told you that in private. <laughs> and so, one of the questions I normally ask is uh, a favorite daytime place to drink or hang out in Saigon. I don't. Do you have one of those?
1: No, but um, I don't day drink no because no, I have shows almost every night yeah, yeah and okay. so and I don't drink before shows so there's been a few times like yesterday I was out having lunch and I'm like man a beer would be great because it's so hot and, and it would be and so great to have a beer but I I find it makes me a little sleepy if I have day beers and so then I don't want to be you know half drunk and then sobering up or a little hungover come showtime so I hardly ever drink during the day and That's um, good. but as far as a favorite place to hang out and this is this is gonna sound cheesy Lunch with Nick Ross. <laughs> that was the thing I was looking forward to most. I was so excited to come back and go for food with him because I just am so I mean, um, it just, I just love listening to him communicate and how excited and he makes people laugh all the time. And then he, the dishes show up and they're just out of this world. And so I, I really, I mean, my memories of Vietnam, I, my first two years was being taken around by a guy who's lived here for 16 years and just ordering the best food I've ever had in my life. So yeah, anywhere with Ross. There products. you go. That's good
0: enough. Um, is there anything, I know, ask people what one thing would you change about Saigon? Is there anything about Saigon you would change? Yeah,
1: how about like a Pedway overpasses for for pedestrians? <laughs> they could just build a little thing you go over top of it.
0: it. Seems like such a simple idea. Yeah, I and I
1: mean if you were to try and like let's say and God forbid, but let's say you were suicidal and you wanted to step out in front of traffic to kill yourself. You couldn't even do it. <laughs> they would have a <laughs> point. Have you used that joke? That's no. a great joke. You should use that. I would steal
0: that, I promise. But it's that's all yours.
1: I, I, uh, on your podcast, I will say that I will not be able to use that joke. I have never used that joke. And you can use it because I can't. It won't, yeah. tra- it won't travel. It simply won't travel. That's very true. Yeah, and so you, if and when that joke gets laughs for you, you can just say, "Oh yeah, Lars and I wrote it over a podcast," and he said, "I could, I could have it." So sounds it's,
0: good. I'll, yeah. che- I'll test it out the next time I yeah yeah next yeah time of that, next time I perform. <laughs> what would you think is uh, what's the most misunderstood thing about Saigon?
1: Well, I mean, having been to just three cities in Vietnam, you know, Hanoi, Hue, Huế, um, and and Ho Chi Minh. Um, i think that people might not realize how industrialized it is you know it's it's relatively easy to navigate you know so they don't have uber they have grab and even though i haven't really been able to communicate much with the drivers so they've never not taken me to where i was going um and then i the genuinely and this is the you know the massages in bali in thailand and in vietnam you can get a really high quality hour-long massage for eight dollars canadian eight dollars and fifty cents canadian which is like seven six dollars and fifty cents seven dollars u.s. and goodness not hanky panky not you know just actual quality massages and so um i think yeah i i think people will be surprised at how easy it was to get around and especially a city this size
0: yeah, it's massive, right? Yeah. Um, And you can get a massage without a hanky-panky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I think maybe misunderstood. People think you say massage, and they're like, oh, and you're like, no, no. It real. It's a massage.
1: Yeah, real one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a quality, you know, a massage therapist in the UK or Canada or, you know, it's their their quality massages. They really mm-hmm.
0: are. Um, I normally, I like to ask people what's a favorite place in Vietnam outside of Saigon, but you've only
1: got two other places, right? Uh, well, I, um, yeah. Hmm. Thailand? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, no. It's. Uh, I. I really. I, Ho Chi Minh is my. Just because after four years, I'm starting to feel a little bit more familiar the districts and kind of knowing where things are in relation to one another, and um, I've really like. i It's because you come once a year you know what to look forward to you know, you know a few places to go and if you're familiar with the comedians you meet them and you come back like Angie and, and Ben and everybody when you come back, Caleb you come back and I'm so excited to see them you know they're, they're funny people and they're friends so I was like yay let's, let's hang out and that's great that's awesome and my last question is what advice would you give
0: to someone who's thinking of visiting Vietnam? oh you have to
1: do it oh my goodness you will be so glad you did so many beautiful things to see so much history the food is so cheap and is so great the people are nice um and i have a terrible sense of direction if i can navigate around anybody can and so i you know when people are like oh i was thinking about going to be a hundred percent i would say absolutely I put it on your list of places you should see at least once in your lifetime i think it's amazing i really love it
0: awesome i, I agree completely it's uh I think anyone you speak to that comes here, they just fall in love with it once yeah. they get here. Yeah. I don't know I don't know exactly why sometimes. It's lots of reasons but yeah. 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 Definitely an yeah. awesome place. So um, you're flying back tonight to um, Canada. Mm-hmm. What's next for you once you get back?
1: Uh, I have a corporate show, so you do a lot of corporate work, um, and so I have a corporate show as soon as I get back. And then I'll be in New York for two months. So all of June and July I'll be in New York City. And then, uh, and then maybe Edinburgh. I think I might be doing the Fringe Festival yeah, for the first yeah. half. Yeah. And then uh, I run a comedy festival in the Okanagan, which is near Vancouver, about three hours from Vancouver. Uh, at the end of August, I run that, and uh, Okanagan Comedy Festival is what it's called. And uh, and then basically just start the tours all over again.
0: Nice. Yeah. Excellent. You keep them busy then.
1: Yeah. Very. Bu- <laughs> yeah. It's been. It's been a busy. 15 years. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, awesome. Lars, thank you so much. This has been uh, really uh, fun. You've uh, given massive help to the comics in Saigon over the last couple of days. It's been awesome to meet you, and thank you for coming on 7 Million Bites, Saigon Podcast.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs>
0: again to Lars Callio for joining me on the bonus episode of 7 Million Bikes, the Saigon podcast. You can check him out on Instagram or Twitter. It's extra Lars, E-X-T-R-A-L-A-R-S and he says if you follow him on Instagram he'll follow you right back so you've got an extra follower. Thanks again for listening in. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, lars had a great time here in saigon he's a very funny man and uh, he gave loads of tips to the local comedians which will hopefully improve the scene here and if you live here you'll hopefully see some funnier comics yours truly included so thanks again for listening i hope you enjoyed that and hopefully you can tune in for future episodes cheers i hope you enjoyed this episode if you're like me you may use your laptop at places where you have to use public wi-fi This opens you up to digital snoopers, it's a massive problem. It can be your internet service provider, or you know who, looking at what you do online, or a cyber criminal trying to steal your bank passwords or credit card info, or even a hacker at the next table trying to steal your sensitive data. These days it is vital that you keep your data safe. NordVPN keeps all of these snoopers away, from prying eyes whoever they may be join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link nordvpn.com forward slash smb just again for those hard of hearing nordvpn.com forward slash smb the link is also in the show notes I know nobody checks them out but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast